cliffcentral.com. Hello, JJ Cornish. It looks very exciting and dark in that room that you're in. JJ. Well, bonjour to you and <laughs> joyeux anniversaire to those of you celebrating. Yes. I was thinking to go to Hungary, but I decided to remain here. But the fact is, I don't know which country I can go to, but if you freckle the porcelain after 11 o'clock, are you, do you have to leave it there or go to another room? I, it, it doesn't make sense. I remember being in, in Switzerland and seeing a little paramilitary cop, you know, with his pants tucked into his combat boots, uh-huh. standing with, standing looking at a car. And he thought, by God, I'm going to find something, something wrong here. <laughs> and he stood for minutes. And there was nothing wrong, but he thought, I will find something, you know, with paramilitary oh paramilitary garbage disposal people. Uh, it's, it is quite amazing. So, JJ, quite amazing. we've got quite an agenda this morning. I mean, apart from the, the news that's going on in South Africa with Jacob Zuma's arrest and all of that stuff, We've got some African news that we, we need to deal with before we get on to a little bit of interesting info about Botswana. So I'm very aware of your time here. First of all, uh, Pumi mentioned Ethiopia. What's actually going on? What's the update on that um, as, as a part of African analysis this morning? Of course, this is brought to you by the Johannesburg Business School. Give us the latest. And don't forget Haiti when you talk Africa, because it's that part of Africa, not in Africa. But <laughs> Ethiopia, the, the fact is, well, I mean, I, I went to Haiti. I went to Haiti as part of a rescue group after the uh, earthquake. And I went there because uh, I, I never go on those kind of earthquake tourism stories. Uh, yeah. I went because I speak French. I'm able to help. And I thought I could help and talk to the children when they get their bandages done. And the women, it was the saddest thing, one of the saddest, most traumatic things I've ever done. Telling this mama she's got to come back the next day to get her bandages changed. And she didn't. And when she did, three days later, they had to take off a bit of her arm. And then three days later, because it was too sore, she came again and and she lost her entire arm. I mean, it was that sort of thing. The most shocking thing I've ever done as a journalist. God. But let's get to Ethiopia. Yes. The, 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 the fact is they've got uh, the Security Council is today going to talk about the filling of the Grand Ethiopian Renaissance Dam. The Ethiopians let the Egyptians and the Sudanese know that we are going to fill that reservoir now. Uh, the two countries down, the riparian countries downstream are saying, no, you're going to take our lifeblood away. And uh, so that's uh, the, the fact. In, in Abi Ahmed has grown up problems, as you know. His troops have lost the capital yes. of uh, Tigray. The Tigrayans have said, okay, we will have the ceasefire that you're demanding now, provided you accept our rule in Tigray. Tigray, of course, was the country, the, the region that had economic, uh, political sway over the entire country. And, and it's, and it's gone that way again. So Abi Ahmed has problems. With the Ethiopian Renaissance Dam and with Tigray, they're saying, uh, the Tigrayans are saying, get rid of what remains of Eritreans here. Uh, We want you to understand that Mm -hmm. we're running this part of the country. Are they going to try and split? Uh, You know, this is one of the most populous countries, second most populous country in Africa. He has 
really, really big problems to deal with. JJ, um, closer to home, and we're going to deal with this a little bit in the burning platform later this morning, but Iswatini next door. I mean, what, what is your understanding of what's going on over there, and why are the media in general so quiet about this story? Well, because if you report something in Eswatini, you're in stone trouble. No, but our, they, our they media. don't have I mean, a free media. I'm talking about our media in, and this, the, well, in South Africa. They seem, well, if I didn't have Twitter, I wouldn't have known about any of this. The fact is, we don't know where King Maswati III is. Mm. He hasn't made an appearance. His daughter, who's a cabinet minister, is saying he would never leave the country. But we understand he might, in fact, be in Johannesburg. We mm. understand he might, in fact, be in Maputo. We don't know at this time. The point sure. is, uh, he gave his guard a shoot-to-kill order to stop protests. Mm. And they did that. They shot and killed one person. Oh and that has raised the ire again of people. And so the, at the end of the day, the, the violence continues, violence protests against the king. And they're saying uh, you, you can't carry on this way. You know, they say that he's wasteful. He, he's absolutely, he's an absolute braggart. You know, you can't have 70% of your population under the poverty datum line and then drive around in a Mayberg telling them, how they should be running their lives, Dec deciding by decree. There are two absolute monarchs in Africa, King Mizwati III and Mohammed VI in Morocco, mm. and they run with the country as they see fit. Yeah. Now, what the Swazis are saying is enough of this already. Now, why hasn't uh, – uh, this has always been an underplayed story by South African standards. You know, I've been to the Institute for Security Studies to hear uh, Swazi – opponents or Swazi dissidents mm. talking many, many, many times and always struggle to sell the story to, to clients because there just doesn't seem to be an interest. Now, of course, the South African authorities themselves yeah. are very well aware of the fact that having uh, uh, the, the small little kingdom, in totally enclosed kingdom, uh, in, in uproar is a cesspool for the rest of us. We yeah. can't have it. It's but uh, the, the, somehow other the media seems to... Uh, Hand it off, and 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 yeah. that is a great pity. Well, we, because we, we need will, support what is happening in Swaziland. Well, I know this is something that Mighty Jamie, who's on the burning platform, really cares about. But we've got uh, four or five minutes here, JJ, and there's lots to cover in Botswana. I actually hope we we I hoped we could have more time. Just tell us the 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 pricey version of what we need to know about our little neighbour to the north, and and what kind of a country they are. Our little neighbor to the, well, to the sort of northwest, northwest yeah. is the largest continuous multi-party democracy in Africa. Hmm. And it has this uh, idea of upmarket tourism. So when you go there, uh, whether or not you take your dogs or, or whatever you choose mm -hmm. to do, you have to pay through the nose because you only get sort of five-star uh, camps. The fact is it's also the largest diamond producer. Hmm. Back in uh, was many years ago, in, in uh, they uh, formed this uh, conglomerate with De Beers, so hmm. they have Deb Swana, and they, they, grow, they have five diamond mines. And uh, it, it was a country that was a British protectorate. Suret Sikama, the first president, he was exiled for a while. And he married Ruth Kama, a white woman, and that created a huge problem with the Brits. But Suretsi Kama <laughs> came in, and uh, when they got independence back in 66, uh, the, the Swana gave up a lot and sacrificed a great deal uh, to protect and give, give succor to our uh, liberationists 
who were who were living next door, and they even had uh, apartheid forces actually bomb, mm-hmm. uh, aerial bombard uh, the, the the Tswana. So they owe that we owe Botswana a debt in that regard. Now you know the truth is, Gareth. If you want to know what Africans think about us in South Africa, the best people to ask are first the Zambians. They uh, don't mince words. And second, the Botswana, who will tell you, the reason why we are having problems is that we don't let the wealth trickle down as they believe they have there. Now, this is a paragon. There's no doubt. It, it is by the per capita the wealthiest African country because they have just over 2 million people and they have these diamonds. But the fact is, uh, I've done business there. I brokered the sale of a newspaper there. Mm. And uh, uh, like any other government, they don't take criticism very well. And then like South Africa, like Namibia, they get quite spiteful against critics. I know the newspaper (laughs) I was selling, they they were critical. And and so what the government was, it said, okay, cool, we'll stop you, which is like saying, you know, I'll cut you off a jugular vein and see how you're going to manage uh, uh, after that. Yeah. So we have then uh, <clears throat> Festus Mochai, who came uh, who came after Suretsi uh, Kama, uh, and uh, he was Ian, one of the yeah. winners of the Mo Ibrahim Prize mm. for good governance. And then we have Ian Kama, the the son of Suretsi Kama. He was a very authoritarian man and an absolute. Uh, he was teetotal because there had been booze problems in the ruling family. No doubt about that. <laughs> yeah. So so uh, 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 he then was a guy that used to walk into the offices of uh, uh, functionaries and say, what is it you're doing? What do you think you're up to? What yeah. is it? you Tell me what you do. How do you justify your vast salary and expenses to me? I wonder if, Cyril, I wonder then, if Cyril's ever done that or if Jacob Zuma ever did that. Uh, I, I wouldn't have thought any of them <laughs> – any of them could bear the answer they would have had. The fact Don't is, though, yeah. Ian, Ian Khama then decided to hand over to Mokhwetsi Masisi, hand-picked him as his leader. But then Masisi came in with policies, of, for example, on wildlife. Ian Khama is a wildlife fanatic, mm. wouldn't allow any shooting of elephants, wouldn't allow any hunting. Mokhwetsi said, no, this is not good enough. These elephants are laying waste to areas uh, you know, in the Thule block and that sort of thing. And and so there's this huge enmity between uh, Ian Khama and Mokhetsu uh, Sisi. So so there's political ructions. They've had one party in charge, very much like the ANC in in Botswana. And, and there was a there was a, a, a an academic whose name was Kenneth Good, an Australian who'd lived there many years mm-hmm. and was a great supporter and an in conscience and in heart a Tswana himself. Then he then said that this system of having the leader of the ruling party becoming the president is not truly democratic. You should have a democratic vote for the president. Vote for the ruling party, vote for the president. And anything shy of that is not genuinely democratic. Well, Kenneth Good had to pack his bags and leave uh, some years ago because, you know, you you just don't take that kind of criticism. So, So you can have a free... And, and, and democratic government, which of course they do have, and they have good governance and rule of law. But it's how a government takes real criticism and responds to it that I think shows its mettle. Well, unfortunately, that's all we've got time to squeeze in on Botswana this week. But I know they'll come up again and we'll, we'll have another 
magnified look at, at other countries in, in the next few episodes. It's always good to hear your insights. And because you've been to all these places and because you know the characters involved, it gives us an insight that we wouldn't just get from reading the Wikipedia page for Botswana. Thank you so much for that, JJ Cornish. African Analysis is brought to you by the Johannesburg Business School. Uh, au revoir, uh, JJ. We'll see you in a couple of weeks. Cheers. Au revoir. Bon weekend. And for you, absolutely. Cliffcentral.com.